And if you want to win a stage yep. or try and break away, you've got to up that to around 6.3, 6.4 watts per kilo, Scotty. Just marinating that for a little bit. In this yes. episode, Scotty, we have got some bloody massive mm. news. Bloody massive news. And this is almost oh. like the trajectory of Half Wheelin has just started to, yeah. I mean, it was always, the trajectory was always sort of on an upward curve, but it appears now that it may be spiking somewhat. Like a, like an exponential rate of well, development, sort of like a rocket. I think potentially. I think potentially it could. And there's some news that we want to mm. deliver just on the back end of this episode. So if you're listening at the moment, just sit tight because we've mm. got some news that may interest cycling fans and perhaps those that even ride the roads of the Victorian high country. Might even be something in this for them. So we'll get to that. We'll save it. Yeah, that's uh, in the business, mate. That's called a teaser. That's, that's a, a teaser, teaser, Ross. And that was one hell of a teaser. <laughs> a teaser. Just leaving it's probably slicker names for it, but I'll... yeah, no, I'm happy with teeth. Yeah. I think you've done pretty yeah. well there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Scotty, at the moment, right as we record yeah. this episode number sixteen, there is a grand tour going on mm. in Spain. Um, have you managed to yep. tune into that a little bit? Yeah, my, my legs are a bit sluggish in the, for the first four or five stages, and then I've been increasingly paying attention. It's been bloody great. It's been bloody great. Yeah, look, the appetite for Grand Tours, there's a potential for it to just trail off a little bit as you get to the Walter. But Mm. this year, and I think it probably started last year where we had that huge appetite for racing and we just couldn't get enough. And I think it's carried through to this year again. And Mm. the racing has Mm. seemed to fall in line with that, I think, um, particularly from the big guns. And it was probably Mm. helped a little bit by the fact that Roglic was injured in uh, the Tour, in the Tour de France fared pretty well in or he yep. won the gold medal time trial in Tokyo. But his grand tour form and G C form is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. He uh he's impressive. He's an impressive professional athlete. He certainly like he's like the big fish in the little pond at the Volta there. Uh, especially this year. The other guys are close and they're they're racing well, but he's just certainly a cut or two above. Yeah, so he's currently in first place now on G C two and a half minutes clear or so and he's won three stages already. There's one more big mountain stage tonight on Saturday night, yep. uh, stage 20. So phew, there's a good chance that he'll win that if he needs to and feels like it. And then he'll probably a real good chance to win the time trial to finish too. He's a bit like that at the moment, isn't he? If he wants to, he can do it. He can, yeah. he can choose whatever yeah. he wants to do. If he wants to win a stage, he'll pull out all stops and go and do it. I mean, I'd yeah. imagine that being in that rare vein of form is quite a satisfying experience, I'd imagine. But he's, as you <laughs> said, he's two and a half minutes up from Unric Mass and Superman Lopez is another 20-odd seconds mm. further back. Third. Yep. And Jack Haig is uh, yep. in fourth Australian place. Australian rider. Yeah. Had a good sort of – it wasn't actually – I think from what you hear – um, mm. wasn't actually going to be the GC man for Bahrain Victorious, but it's certainly emerged yeah. that way as the world has gone on. Um, yeah. And I'd like to talk about his teammate in just a few moments, Scotty, because we had some okay. correspondence between ourselves oh, in yeah. regards to their GC leader, Mikael mm. So we'll just Mikhail. touch on him in a moment. But in fifth is Egan Bernal. So it seems to be in okay form Bernal. He's still every now and then uh, whinges about his back, but... Um, <laughs> 
he seems to have carried his form on from the Giro to some extent. So, yeah, there's some big guns uh, up the top of the leaderboard, mate. Mm, yeah. And you know that comment about Egan about carrying his form through. So it's like Ineos, you know, uh, Tour de France at Carapaz who came in third, didn't he? Came in third. So he, he did well. But Ineos as a team didn't seem to do that well. Um, they got a massive budget. They got all these superstars. So they need to win. And Egan Bernal is not really strong enough to win the Volta. So I reckon Ineos are all over the joint at the moment. Like their team tactics at the tour were, were freaking weird and didn't even help them. Um, who's going to win? Bernal, he was strong in the Giro. Now he's not as good here. Um, Carapaz won't be able to beat Pogaccia, even Roglic. So with big budget, mate, you know, they have to come up with solutions to be, you know, number one or two threats, not just sort of contending. They have to be, yeah, I reckon they gotta, they got to look at everything in Eos. I reckon they're in a bit of bother. Yeah, if they're a footy I mean, team, that's spot, say oh, no, that they, they, yeah. they almost need yeah. to start the rebuild or, you know, make some dramatic changes to get things back on track because I agree, I think they're at the crossroads to an extent. Like you mentioned Pogaccia and on the surface and mm. just looking at it, you would say that Bernal is the biggest challenger to him, but even then he's still a bit off the pace. So, yeah, yeah they're at the precipice, I reckon. Yeah, and they don't... Um... They're an English sort of based team and they've really looked to, um, you know, support English riders and like Wiggins and Froome and, and the Yates and things like that. And that's good. And um, Garen Thomas, and that's good. And I know they got the tour victory with Bernal sort of on the tail end of the premiership, you know, the premiership era. Yeah. But I don't know. They don't like how are they going to, they're more Latin riders. I don't know if they just, they don't seem to join that team. Like here's Carapaz, you know, racing his ass off in the tour trying things, you know, attacking, you know, doing what he does, being a competitor and not dying wondering. And then you got the fucking Sky Train, you know, at the base of Bloody Von 2, riding on the front, not dropping anybody and tiring themselves out. So it's like it's just all it's all a bit fucked, I reckon. Yeah, it's weird. And, you know, I, I just feel like banal, it's not a go at banal at all, but, if Ineos's strategies work, Banal should be fucking putting Roglic on the ropes a few times, not just once in one stage. He should be really hassling it, but he's nowhere near it, you know, relatively. Yeah. So anyway, that's, I don't know, I just feel a bit like that. No, I agree. And it's almost like they need that leader who's going to be like, come follow me, you know, get behind me. I'll tell you how fast to go. Yes. You know, and yes. all those different sort of things. And it's almost as yes. if... They've got riders who have the capabilities, but their culture needs a bit of a rejig and they need yes. to build something from within that makes them trust each other. I don't know. That, that seems yep. to be yep. yeah, wires crossed big time. Yeah, and I think um, like you got Sivakov there who's being talked about, but to me it's Carapaz, right? And like exactly like you say, you know, they need to somehow get behind him, but how do they do it? And, and can they get behind him in the way that leverages his potential? I don't, I don't know. It just mm. doesn't. Yeah, anyway, big budget, but um, yeah. Look, it's not as though they've been dead losses the whole season or anything like that, but when you've got that budget and, you know, you need to be in, you know, one-two punching it all the time. It know? brings with it certain expectations, it doesn't it, Scotty? Yes, yes, exactly. Mate, yep. one other one that's caught my eye, in particular writer who's caught my eye, is Michael Storer. An Australian, can you be honest yeah. here? Were you aware of Michael Storer's talents pre the Walter? 
not really aware of his talents. I was aware of him and that name and all that. I knew he was a climber. And I'd actually also heard Matt Keenan mention him as a, you know, this guy got a bit along with some of that other of that era, like Jack Hague and that. But no, I didn't know where he, you know, I didn't, hadn't followed his trajectory at all. So 24-year-old, he's had two stage wins. He's currently in the polka dot jersey for the King of the Mountains leader. Um, he's actually off. He's riding for DSM, mm. Team DSM, but he's actually off to Group Armour FDJ yeah. in 2022. Yeah. He showed some agates, which we like. He's right down our alley. He's on our team. <laughs> he's actually made his way into our squad quite comfortably, and um, yeah. I think we'll contract him. There's no worries there, but... I actually heard an, um, <laughs> he was on a podcast that we love, Stanley Street Social, mm. last week and had some interesting things to say. His role at Group Armour FTJ is going to be as pretty much the lieutenant on the final climbs, basically. So the, their GC man, their climber, um, right. he'll, be the, he'll carry him to the final climb or whatever that may be and then he'll let he'll be the, He'll be the Sepkus. The Sepkus, yeah, that, he's going to play that role. So that's an interesting one. Potentially yep. down the track could be a GC man, but... He said some interesting things and he was asked about the wattage that needs to be put out, you know, when you're riding with these big guns. He commented that he's 63 kilos, so he's no heavyweight by any means. As a climber, you wouldn't expect that. Mm. But basically, mm. the requirements were if you're riding in the break, which he has been, and riding on some of the climbs with the big guns, you need to be riding at around 6 watts a kilo for about 30 minutes to be just to hold on, just to be there. And if you want to win a stage yep. or, or try and break away, you've got to up that to around 6.3, 6.4 watts per kilo, Scotty. Just marinating that for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I would be marinating in that well and truly. I'd be, um, they'd be peeling it off the bone off me. Uh, so six watts at 63 is 378. Now, if I do, uh, what'd you say, 63K by 6 point, just say 4 as an outside measure, that's 403 watts. So that's that's uh, 400 watts at half an hour, 17 stages into a Grand Tour, yeah. um, and, and probably at 33 degrees in the in the um, Tour of Spain. <laughs> so there you go. Pretty easy scenario, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I could do it for about four minutes, so I don't know what the big deal is. <laughs> Oh, but look, he's got some ability and I'm going to be interested now that he's on our team, we'll obviously be following fairly intently. So it's going to be good to see yeah. how he develops. Hopefully he ends up in the polka dot jersey uh, when they finish off yeah. the World Tour this year. So if he's going to go to FDJ as the, you know, lieutenant to last climber, is he doing that for Pino or who, who well, is that? that um, is it Goodoo? Is it Goodoo? Well. Or is I, it both of them or is it? It's interesting, Scotty. What's Mark Matteo? What's Mark Matteo's mastermind thinking? <laughs> the first Mark bloke Matteo. I thought yeah. of was Thibaut Pino. So yeah, <laughs> he's got to develop an interesting yeah. relationship with him. <laughs> Has he been brought in to just show Thibaut the door? It's like, see you later, dickhead. Yeah, hold my beer, Thibaut. Mate, one other thing that's spiked my interest at the Vuelta has been, amongst other things, there's been a lot of good racing, as you said before, but Fabio Jakobsen, he's easily yeah. the fastest man in the race and he's been pretty impressive in some of those flat sprints. Bloody oath. Um, I noticed that too. So he's, he's won three stages, which is fantastic. But 
for, for anyone who doesn't remember, he was the guy who had the massive stack in the sprint stage at Tour of Poland in 2020. So maybe it was like June or, j- j- yeah, maybe March or something. I yeah. sure should have the dates, but anyway. Pretty early, I think, yeah. So he was, he was in a coma for like, you know, weeks and he was in hospital for ages and blah, blah, blah. And now he's come back racing. And within about a month of racing, he's won his first race again. And now he's come to the, you know, Volton won three stages. So fair effort. Yeah, and bearing in mind, their sprint team and train at the Welter would still be fairly capable, I'd imagine, as has been proven. But, I mean, he's not doing it with Mikael Merku, who basically escorts Mark Cavendish to the green jersey of the Tour. He's you know, almost a run yeah. down from that. So pretty fair effort and says a bit about the power and speed that he's got. Yeah, I was watching um, a couple of the stages and he was off the back of the peloton in a few of the climbing stages, in the hillier stages. He was, he was like off the back on his own. And then, you know, a day or two later, he won the sprint stage. So, yeah, there's something there. If you're off the back doing it hard and you've got to make the time cut, so, you, you know, you're pretty much up against the ropes and you're deep into a grand tour. And then to be able to come out and win a day or two later, that's um, probably shows something about him, whether he's, you know, his physical resilience or integrity or whatever, but also that, you know, mental toughness as well. Scotty, there was something that I alluded to a little earlier when we were talking about Jack Haig. The guy who we were about to speak about was someone who I think it was in the first week of the Walter, we actually spoke about this guy and just wondered what was going on with Mikael Lander. What is going on with Mikael Lander? Can you tell me? Oh, we're at stage 19 now, aren't we? Um, is he still in the race? He's not in the race. He is not in the race because... Yeah. In stage 17, Mikael Lander went on the attack yep. and then in the same stage he had to abandon, which I'm not sure. Like, there's not too many blokes who've done that in the past, sure. That straight out of the playbook of uh, Fabio Aru and uh, Thibaut Pinot. <laughs> I would have thought Mikael Lander's got a little bit more integrity in terms of you know that ability to rely on their integrity a bit more than those blokes. I don't know. Have we just maybe elevated him to a standard that he's potentially or possibly not capable of, do you think? Because, I mean, he's had some pretty good results. But coming into this, Walter, he was the GC man for Bahrain Victorious in a team that was pretty strong, really. It's got to be said with Caruso, Jack Haig as a lieutenant. They haven't brought some dummies here. He's come equipped with some pretty good teammates and didn't really give a yelp. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. The story for me, for him, if you go back to he used to be on Astana and he rode for Astana when Nibali and Aru were the main GC men. And I remember it was the 20, I think it was the 2014 Giro. And they went up the Mortarolo, you know, like 10Ks at 12% or whatever it was. And it was, I don't know, Ross, if you remember this or you saw this, but it was the stage where Alberto Conte got caught out with a flat tyre in the lead into the into the Mortarola, and so Astana drilled it on the front through the valley. And so Contador started the climb, the Mortarola, on his own, you know, a couple of minutes back, and he just danced out of the saddle all the way up. It was a phenomenal climbing performance. But Mikael Lander was riding for Aru. Halfway up, Aru sort of basically couldn't hold Lander's wheel. So he was really strong. He, could, I think, he might have finished third or fourth in the GC that year, Lander. But he could have got been better. But again, it's always easier. I think it's easier to hide when you're riding for someone else physically. Then he goes to Sky, 
And just as Kwiatkowski had done for Froome later, he was that, like they said, that lieutenant role. And there's a couple of years there and stages there where he was just unbelievable on the climbs. Like so strong, not even moving the seat, barely breathing and giving Froome an armchair ride. So what you see from that is physically he is by far good enough. Then he goes to Movistar. Movistar, yeah. And, you know, he got some results there. It's not as though he didn't perform at all, but didn't probably perform as hoped or as expected. And then they've also got the tricky situation of having Nairo Quintana there and Valverde, you know, the freelance privateer. So you've got some, you know, some lack of perhaps cohesion and, you know, who are we writing for and all that sort of stuff. And obviously that was shown even in, um, you know, the Netflix show, at least expected day. So now, now he moves to Bahrain and hasn't quite clicked. So I don't know. I think he's good enough to be a legitimate contender, but I think perhaps physically, I think if I was going to take yes, there's something mentally going on there. And I would just hope, I would just hope that he's at least looked at different avenues to try and get more out of himself and get that consistent output, and or at least just ride to his potential. Yeah. That's that's the main thing a coach wants to do is help you ride to potential. So what I'm getting at is sportsology and awareness of all those things and the complexity of maybe what goes on in his head. I don't know. I'm not trying to say he's a basket case or anything like that. No, I just hope he's tried different things to try and bring the more out of him. It could be something else that's just not within his control. I don't know. But here's my end of my long sort of rant, if you like, monologue. I reckon he's good enough, but we don't see it when we think we could see it. Mm. What about you, mate? How do you sort of... What are your Look, thoughts? I, I think you summed it up pretty well with that last comment. We don't see it enough. He seems to be, and there's a certain amount of this that goes off seeing that documentary when he was that movie star. He seems to be a guy who's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. And if the yeah, conditions yeah, aren't yeah, right, yeah. perhaps it plays on his mind. And certainly mentally, there's a gap there that's not quite meeting up with the physical ability because... I mean, you don't become a Grand Tour rider and a GC man if you haven't got ability and you haven't got good leg. And as we've spoken yep. about quite a bit, the thing that separates the real good GC riders for three weeks is how they mm. can handle the pressure, how they can handle their teammates, mm. all the variables that get thrown at them. And he just seems like he mm. can't really yeah. handle it for three weeks. Yeah. Yeah, you say the weight of the world on his shoulders. Yeah, I think there's a bit of that. Or uh, maybe also another way to say it. Well, not another way to say it, but... Like, additionally to that, maybe he's a, he's, I don't know, is he a sensitive sort of a guy? So things get to him easily. Whereas I'd say at the other end of the spectrum is Lance Armstrong, who, you know, is like, fuck you, nothing's going to hold me back. And if something goes against me, even if it's unfair or whatever, fuck you. There's no way. Like, he just used that as fuel. He could convert it to fuel. Whereas maybe Lander, you know, is, I, I don't know, maybe he's sensitive and it sort of gets him down. And, it doesn't mean that Lander has to be like Lance to win, be better. It doesn't mean that, but it's just knowing, okay, what am I tend to, how I tend to respond to adversity or whatever it is, and then what's my tools and what, how do I convert it back into, you know, focusing and bring out my best. Yeah. So I don't know. All these things like can you handle the pressure, can you work with your teammates, blah, 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 that all goes off in your brain, doesn't it? It's how you're perceiving the world and yourself and your place in it. So. I would hope that, yeah, he's tapping into someone who can help him with that sort of stuff if that is what it's about. Because like you say, nowadays, they can measure you pretty much whether they know you're a good chance for GC because you've got the power meters and the data is better than ever before. So they know if he's got the legs and he's good enough to be able to do it. 
I mean, he seems like a decent guy. He actually seems like a decent bloke too. So I hope, I don't know. But you know, I guess if it hasn't happened by now, you probably haven't learned enough to be able to change and try different approaches. Yeah, he's probably getting towards the back end of his career now, isn't he? So maybe it's a team thing, even mate. Like when he was at Sky, yeah, wrote well, got a lot of support, a lot of resources. Mind you, I don't think uh, Bahrain Victoria's sparing any cash in no. the way they set up. So, or that sports psychology side of things maybe isn't as well equipped as what it needs to be. Yeah, well, when he was at Astana and when he was at Sky, he was at Mystique. Since then, Movistar and Bahrain, he's been, you know, a leader. They're riding for him. So that's probably the biggest thing you could sort of say, the difference, and maybe that's affected the performance. Yeah, so Caruso, he's a guy who has ridden, I think it's 13 Grand Tours. Before the Giro this year, he had had one career victory at the pro level. At the Giro, he gets his first stage victory at the Giro and then finishes, ends up finishing second on GC. So unbelievable at 32 years of age. So awesome. And he's Italian and he's in the Italian race. So awesome. Then he comes to Volta and if you don't mind, like a 70K solo breakaway from the break on a climbing stage wins. So now he's got two of his three career wins are in Grand Tours. Like, how good do you have to be as a teammate to ride 13 Grand Tours but not have any victories and or like one pro victory overall? That is just saying that you are an unbelievably great teammate and reliable. And now he's also knocking a few runs out for himself. It's brilliant. And not just sneaking across the line, like pulling out some bangers, like absolutely smashing it out. 70 Ks in the (laughs) – yeah. Yeah. Solo breakaway, 70 Ks in the mountains. Unbelievable. Like, if you're going to do, Jesus, it's like an earthquake through the bloody Spanish mountains. He's a name that's been around for a while, hasn't he, Caruso? But what an effort. What an effort. And like you said, what a teammate. Yeah. To be yeah. that strong lieutenant and be there through all those grand tours at the service of the leaders. And then when the opportunity comes, yeah. he's ready. He's absolutely ready. Yeah, it's a great story. It's a great story. Remember um, Michael Rogers, the Australian writer? He had a similar breakout towards the end of his career where he realised that he'd been much more focused on the fear of losing as opposed to taking a risk to win. And, you know, four times world champion, I think four-time world champion in in time trial, maybe three-time time time trial. So he had the engine, but in road racing, you know, he did a few wins and then he was a very great domestique. And then he had a couple of wins there in Grand Tours late in his career. And, um, yeah, maybe that lease of life is similar to what uh, Caruso's going through, you know. They just have this realisation that, you know, now's the time and it's okay to go for it. It's okay to risk and I'm all in and having a go and see what happens. Hey, Scotty, at the start of this episode, there was a teaser, which you dubbed it quite appropriately, was a teaser. Now, Mm. this is our 16th episode. So Mm. some may say we're probably in our infancy just a little bit. We're still working our way through the treasure trove of cycling podcasts to inevitably reach the top, but that's an argument for another day. But we have garnered some support from quite a popular and, how should I say? Prestigious prestigious organisation called Bicycle Network. Now, are you right. familiar with Bicycle Network, Scotty? Yeah, I'm, I would say I'm mildly familiar with it. I think they do a bit of advocacy for cycling in the Australian country. Um, they organise some events and do some promotions, something along those lines. Is that 
How's that sound? That's absolutely spot on, mate. Now, you alluded to events. We're actually throwing our weight behind the Peaks Challenge. Okay, So Bicycle Network have come to us and say, listen, you're probably the greatest podcast doing the rounds in terms of cycling. And we we took all that information on board and we didn't argue with it because it's probably probably right. right. It it is absolutely right. And they said to us, can you please throw your weight and support behind the Peaks Challenge Falls Creek for 2022? And we said yes. (laughs) It's as simple as that. Yeah. There was a bit of argy-bargy in the negotiating table, wasn't there? Well, me not being super tuned into these sort of things, I said, listen, Scotty, you might have to take the wheel here because you're the negotiator out of both of us. And, mm. you know, it's fair to say that the deal that was nutted out, you know, is a credit to yourself and the way that yeah. you handled negotiations and in particular the way you banged your fist on the desk about 10 yes. times and said, this is yes. what's got to happen. Yeah, yeah. I was aware at the time when I was banging the fist on the desk that, oh, God, I might be pushing it too far. And, you know, I was taking my lead off Alexander Tinkov, you know, when he was putting a bit of pressure on Peter Sagan to, to deliver on the big contract. So I was sort of trying to, you know, do the alpha male thing. And I was thinking, oh, I was pushing this too far. But, you know, by the end of it, it was all back slapping and handshakes. So yeah. they loved it. I think the people in negotiating the deal for Bicycle Network, they just appreciated the assertiveness and, and being told what to do. I think that's one of the things that they came to us for. Well, I got the feeling that the vibe from them in particular was, geez, he went for the jugular there, like straight into it, and the foot on Mm. the throat and away he went. And basically that's how the deal was done. It's sort of up there with a lot of the big contracts that we've seen in the sporting world, Mm. definitely in the last 10 years. And we're pretty happy to play our part. But in all seriousness, Scotty, the Peaks Challenge Mm. is something that we're delighted to be behind and pretty excited to be supporting. It's one of the toughest but most rewarding experiences you'll ever have on a bike, essentially. Um, It's set to the backdrop of the Victorian high country, 235 kilometres, if you don't mind. So the ride starts at Falls Creek, the top of Falls Creek, and it tackles three climbs, Tawonga Gap, Mount Hotham, and the back of Falls Creek, which, for those out there that know it, is pretty much like having a 4B2 smack (laughs) right across your face, Um, not once, but five to ten times. That's what that feels like. All the while being in incredible physical beauty. And as Ross said, it's in for the people outside of Australia or Victoria don't know this region, it's in the Victorian high country and that's where they, you know, there's, they're um, mountains. So there's, there's snow there in the winter and there's, there's snow resorts, basically. Yeah. So you're sort of riding in that terrain in a non-snow time of year and it's uh, incredibly beautiful. But then the roads... The roads aren't the smoothest roads to ride on, are they, Ross? They haven't got, they don't, they're pretty dead, aren't they, to be fair? Yeah, they're dead as maggots, to be honest. (laughs) Particularly when you get to the back of Falls Creek with 200 Ks in the legs. um, What What happens then? Well, you start to hallucinate and (laughs) you feel like, to be honest, you feel like you wish that the road would just eat you up. Now, I hope I'm not scaring too many people off, but the time limit for this ride is set at 13 hours. So, 13 hour time limit which is certainly attainable. You don't need to go super hard to make it in that 13 hours, but it is certainly challenging. And we at Half Wheeling are going to take yeah. you on our journey as we yeah. set our sights on competing in Peaks 2022. Yes, we'll be there. I've got to say, mate, on one condition, or one condition, two conditions, no, one condition, I'm having major saddle issues on my bike. I cannot seem to get one that satisfies so if I cannot get one, well, I'm going to be doing all sorts of bloody early Tour de France type cheating. I'll be getting in trains. I'll be getting limos to pick me up and skirt me <laughs> around the back to it. I will not be riding 234 kilo, 240Ks and 4,000 vertical uh, if I cannot get this saddle right. So I'm going to put that qualifier in early. 
You're right. So it's 235Ks, 4,000-plus metres of vertical. And we'll put the call out now. If anyone's got a saddle solution for Scotty, <laughs> please make yourself known and contact yeah. Half Wheel and Headquarters, and we want to sort this out quick, smart. Yeah. We also want to support the great work that Bicycle Network does in their efforts to run this event. I mean, they don't just roll it out to an acceptable standard. They run this event to an unbelievably super high standard. Yeah, well, you, you did it last year. Yeah. yeah. So tell us a bit more about it because you actually did it last year and you mentioned the 13-hour cutoff, just for reference, listeners. Uh, Ross did it in 10 and a half hours. Um, but tell us a bit more about that day for you, mate. Yeah, look, it's um, undoubtedly the most epic day in the saddle that I've ever had. Um, we were blessed with some pretty good weather and tackled the three climbs. There was over 2,000 competitors in this event. It's no small sort of gathering. It's a massive Mm. scale event. And as I alluded to there, Bicycle Network do an absolutely fantastic job of getting this event up. You want Mm. for nothing. You know where everything is. Full valet service with all your gear and all that sort of stuff catered for. Yeah, it's a brilliantly run event. Mm. And it's on Sunday the 13th of March in 2022. So as I mentioned before, Bicycle Network who come to us to promote it a little bit and get the word out, and we're more than happy to do that because as a competitor in it last year, it's something that at least once in your life you need to go in. Mm, yeah, for sure. Yeah, beautiful terrain, great challenging parkours, well-organised, good time of year, good chance to good weather, not savage hot and not necessarily – I mean, Victoria's weather can change a lot, but there's a good chance of good weather. It's around Easter time, so – yeah, for sure. You've had all summer to get your legs right to really gear yourself up for the event and, and set your sights mm. on it. So tickets go on sale, I believe, in the next week or so, um, so mm. early September. Get in your early bird tickets and, um, yeah, snap it up because uh, mm. it promises to be another huge event. Yeah, nice. Be good. I'm looking forward to it. Just got to get the saddle right, but I'm pumped. Yeah, we'll bloody get you there, mate. Don't worry about that. <laughs> On a separate note, I told you this the other day, but I think it's worth um, sharing with the wider audience, mate. Two things I've got to say. In the mountain bike world, the dominant rider of the last 10 years at least has been a guy from Switzerland by the name of Nino Schurter in cross-country mountain bike. We're not talking about downhill. We're talking about cross-country. Now, cross-country events usually go from anywhere from short track of half an hour to like 70 minutes, something like that. So that's the sort of time frame you're doing. A lot of climbing, a lot of technical stuff. Nino Schurter is a dead set legend. He's probably the best mountain biker of all time in cross-country style discipline. I just thought I would go through something. In 2009, Ross, he was a world champion. Then he went quiet, but 2012, 2013, world champion again. Anyway, nine times in the last 13 years, he's been world champion. And in that time, he's been the number one or number two ranked rider like 10 times. So he's just been incredible. In 2017, he didn't lose a race. But Ross, yeah, so he's, he's a jet. And and the reason why you get behind this guy, not only, you know, it's easier to love someone who wins a lot, no doubt. But here's the thing when he goes over the finish line, he's usually so excited, he rocks the devil's horns, you know, it's like he's at a buddy medal concert. And the other thing is, when he goes over jumps, little jumps during the race, rather than just going over them and, you know, getting a bit of air and then maintaining your momentum and then pedaling into the next bit, whatever, he'll often do a tail whip. Him and, and the other guy who does that is also Wonder Boy, Cool and Get a Goal, Matthew Venable. They both do tail whips during the race. So they're having fun. They're playing with it. They're expressing themselves. They're going with the flow while being incredible winners as well. The thing is, though, last year, Ross, COVID year 2020, he was only, only for him, ranked third in the world and he didn't win the world championship. And then at the Olympics this year, behind Thomas Pitcock, 
he only got he only only got fourth in the Olympics after he won in Rio, right? So he was third ranked rider in 2020 and his fourth ranked rider in 21. And last weekend the world champs come out and he comes out and wins it world championships at like 35 years of age. So he's been an absolute jet, but you saw the last couple of year and a half, two years, and you're thinking, oh God, could this, is this the tail off? Is this the end of his brilliance, his dominance? He's um, you know, is this the beginning of the end, so to speak? Then he comes out and wins a bloody world championship again. Like I just yeah, I'm I just really impressed with that. You know, those type of resiliences. And we mentioned that on our Instagram page with the Primoz Roglic, you know. We um put a post up there. Um you can go and have a look at it. You know, he gets dropped on the main climb at the Olympics, two days later wins the bloody TT. I'd just like to mention that. I think it's brilliant. Uh, bloody oath. We like a lot of riders, Scotty. We've yeah, we've got a lot of favourites across various disciplines, um, yeah. male and female. But what we do love is sustained brilliance. And clearly, mm. Nino Schurter, that sits quite comfortably with him because that record's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. It really is. And then, um, you know, uh, another lady who won the Olympic gold medal in mountain biking in the cross-country, Yolanda Neff, she just had a domestic race recently. So she won the mountain bike. She's a gun. She's technically uh, really good on, on technical terrain as well as being a you know, big engine as well. And she got a bad puncher. So she had a crash at the start of a race just a few days ago and she was at the back of the field by the end of it. So going to the first corner off the start line, she started in the second row. So there's like a row of seven and then another row of seven and so on for the whole field. She was in the second row. She got caught up in a crash. All of a sudden she's at the back of the field at lap one, you know, with six or seven laps to go. She, she she overtakes them all except for two and finishes third in the race. So that's just like, I just love that shit, you know. People are sort of not only good enough, of course, but just, you know, they've got a choice. They could sort of just put the queue in the rack or they can have a crack, and I just love that when they do that sort of stuff. Risk losing to win, Scotty. That's what we bloody love here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. One other thing I just wanted to share because I thought it was worthwhile the rumour is true. So Rowan Dennis is leaving Team Ineos and oh, going Jumbo to Jumbo Visna. Yeah, he's going to Jumbo Visna. So I just had to think about that. And I thought, oh, okay. And, you know, we love these teams and we love these riders. But the unfortunate thing is in pro cycling, one of the many unfortunate structural things is that there's no salary cap. Look, some people don't believe in salary caps. I do. I think it makes the sport more entertaining, more fair and more just better watching basically. And um, So, you know, Jumbo Visma and Ineos have got the biggest budgets and their budget's like four times as much as some of the teams that they're competing against. So you just can't compete because they can just sign the best riders, right? They just pick them off. Yeah, they, they need to have a good culture and a good organisation and that. But the more money you got, the more chance you got the ability to do that. But anyway, just have a listen to this team. And this is just the big names. So Jumbo Visma team, say for the Tour de France, just say it was like an all-stars team, right? Primoz Roglic, number one. Jonas Vinegard, the fisherman, you know, finishes second at the tour this year at 21 or whatever. He's climbing. Then you got Sepp Kuss, domestique, brilliant climber. And Stephen Coathanger, Kreiswijk, third on the tour a couple of years ago. Incredibly consistent in grand tours. Um, doesn't get tired in three weeks, rides better at, after three weeks. So there's your climbers Roglic, Vinegard, Kuss, and Kreiswijk. Then you got your all rounders, right? Tom Dumoulin, time trial gun, climbing gun, GC winner. Can ride on the flats. Then you got Van Art, pretty much the best rider in the world. Time trial, sprint, climb, uh, pull on the front, doesn't matter. Cycle across, whatever. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever you want him to do, he'll do it. <laughs> he'll do it. Right. And he's got good hair. So there's that. 
Then you've got Rowan Dennis, two-time world champion, silver medalist at the Olympic TT, two-time world champion in TT. Gun. Tony Martin, four-time TT world champion, probably starting to come to the end of his time, but still an unbelievably good domestique and experienced yeah, and been front, a true it? winner. Yeah, true winner. So I looked at those numbers. So there's four, two, six, eight. Is there eight and a two at the front of the team now? It used to there be nine. Eight, yep. I think it's eight now. Yeah. So, and then you've got Robert Hessing, the veteran, experienced gun, has finished in top 10 in GCs as well. So he's like your yeah, road captain, experienced, calm. You know, he's at the ready too. How's that list? Roglic, Vinegard, Kuss, Kreiswijk, Dumoulin, Van Aert, Dennis, Martin, and Hessing. And that doesn't even include some of the, like, your no-name domestiques that you might need to drag others around. Some donkey work, like, yeah. It'd make bloody Ineos very nervous, I would imagine, Scotty. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Even accentuates Um, more so that topic that we spoke about a little bit earlier. You know, where do they go from here? They've got to make a a really big decision because their biggest opponent is getting better. Yeah, that's the thing with uh, Pogaccio. It's like, you know, if you're Ineos, how do you beat him? Or how do you beat them? Probably their best chance was to try and sign him. That was their best chance. (laughs) Because how are they going to do it? (laughs) Oh, I can't wait to find yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. And we've got uh, Roubaix coming up, haven't we? Oh, yes. Yes. Actually, just on that, <laughs> you and I both follow yeah. the great yeah, yeah. Wout Van Aert on Strava. He was doing some recon of Roubaix in the yeah. last week. Yes. He did a lazy 170, 180 Ks, um, average 32, just over the cobbles, yeah. just checking yeah. them out. So that just is out. firmly in his sights, which is exciting to think about. Yeah, well, he had that bad crash there that time, and then he, in his first year he even did it. He was like 12th in his very first year. Uh, he's a dead set, a dead set hot favourite for that. Not the necessarily, because Vanderpol is obviously under an injury cloud. You know, couldn't get a goal with his sore back. Had to pull out of the European Championship and a few, miss a few mountain bike events. So they're saying he's going to be ready for the World Championships, which is going to be held around Flanders and Roubaix. Yeah. Fan Don't art, mate. Come in underdone, Ooh. Scotty. Don't want to come in underdone yep. on that one, mm. my friend. <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah. So some great racing to come. Should Still, be. and then we got yeah, we got Roubaix, we got the Worlds, which is you know, around basically two of Flanders. The parkers are basically the same. Yep. And we've got Lombardia coming too. I can't wait. Hey, let's um Good let's catch you. up again soon. What do you reckon? Yeah, absolutely. Let's Keep it going. Audio. See ya.